You're listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more information about the House and our events on our website. Good evening, everyone. And welcome to tonight's event with our guest of honor, Noailet Bulavayo. My name is Susanna Kalutza, and I'm the CEO here at the House of Literature. Bulavayo has written two critically acclaimed and award-winning novels, We Need New Names, translated to Norwegian by Ina Vassbottensteinmann, and Glory, translated by Bente Klinge. Both novels were shortlisted for the prestigious Booker Prize, a rare feat that very few writers have achieved, especially with both of their first two novels. In Glory, she tells the story of the coup and the subsequent fall of an authoritarian leader, no less than the longest-serving leader in a continent of long-serving leaders, and indeed in the whole wide world, <laughs> of the fictional country Jidada with a dan and other da, and of the situation of the animals living there. With nods to both Orwell's Animal Farm and traditional animal fables, Glory is far more than a funny fable. It's a razor-sharp, at times satirical, historical, at times poetic and emotional, at times outright heartbreaking in its brutality, but also filled with hope for a democratic future. We also get a poignant portrait of a mother-daughter relationship where the daughter is forced to carry both the grief and history of her mother and that of their country. In addition to her own writing, Bilovaya has also been a teacher of creating writing for many years. And to talk with her on stage, we are lucky to have Priya Baines with us. Baines is a poet, a writer, and a critic who herself has explored mother-daughter relationships, migration, and belonging in her poetry. So please help me give a warm welcome to No Violet Bulavayo and Priya Baines. Hi, everyone. Good evening. <laughs> and hello, and welcome to you, Novaya. Thank Violet. you, thank you. I'm very glad to be speaking to you and that you're here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And greetings to my Zimbabwean family in the house. Thank you for coming. I think maybe we should start off with some reading, just Absolutely. so that everyone is on the same page, literally. Okay. So I'll read from the very beginning of, uh, of the novel. Just a section, two sections. This is during uh, a rally in which the father of the nation, the president, has just um, arrived. Behold him, yes, Toluguti him and only him himself, the anointed one, the only one, the supreme one, the most magnificent one. With the arrival of his excellency, Jidada Square came alive. Toluguti, the father of the nation, had such an aura his mere presence in any space automatically rearranged the atoms in the air and shifted any given mood, no matter how hostile or dismal or foul, to a positive and electric one. Those who know about things say this quality had especially been a dozenfold more potent a long, long time ago, during the first years of His Excellency's rule when his appearance alone made unripe things instantly ripen to the point of rotting, cured the sick of whatever ailments molested them, turned rocks to mush, deactivated storms and heat waves, rerouted floods, wildfires and plagues of locusts, cured fatal viruses before they even thought of attacking, made dry rivers overflow with water. Yes, Toluguti, the father of the nation's appearance alone, had once upon a time started engines, burned steel beams, and in separate documented occasions, 
made scores and scores of virgins pregnant so that long before he married the donkey and sired children with her, streams of his excellency's blood were already flowing throughout Jedada. And now, here was the father of the nation lighting up Jedada Square by merely happening, by simply being there. The place ignited in flaming applause, and even the animals who not too long before had been trying to live were now part of the uproar, standing on hind legs and cheering His Excellency, not just with their voices and bodies, no, but also with their hearts and minds and souls. Cows mowed, cats mewed, sheep bleated, bulls bellowed, ducks quacked, donkeys brayed, goats bleated, horses neighed, pigs grunted, chickens clucked, peacocks screams and geese cackled, the cacophony reaching deafening levels as the entourage of power came to a final stop in front of a raised platform. The poor and the rich do not play together. Under a sprawling white tent sat the seat of power in a circle of the Jitata party, which of course was the ruling party, otherwise known as the party of power, of which His Excellency was president. With them were some of His Excellency's family members, friends and honored guests. Toluti, the group of elites were, in all honesty and jealous down, a magnificent sight, the most exquisite cloth, expensive jewelry, and precious accessories of adornment, together with beautiful, well-groomed and healthy bodies, told of wealth and good living. These animals represented some of Chitata's chosen ones, and were indeed proof of the father of the nation's benevolence, for most of them had been made rich by His Excellency, if not directly, then through some kind of connection to him. They were proud recipients of gifts of land, businesses, tenders, government loans that did need repaying, inheritors of confiscated farms, grantees of mines, industries, and all kinds of riches. With not much to occupy them, being that the celebrations hadn't started, the miserable animals in the sun feasted on the chosen with coveting eyes and at moments actually forgot the heat cooking their bodies, the hunger gnawing at their bellies, the thirst parching their throats. Yes, Toluti besotted with the pretty picture of their shaded betters, sitting in comfortable chairs and sipping cold beverages. The hot, salivating animals leapt at the sight like it were a cool glass of honey wine, and when they licked their dry, cracked lips, they were pleasantly surprised taste the faint traces of actual sweetness. I think that's it. Thank you. Thank you. In Glory, which mm -hmm. in Norwegian is called Den Gamle Hesten, the old horse, uh, okay. after the name of the dictator in, in the book, mm -hmm. uh, we are in the fictitious country, Jedada, as we could hear, where all the characters are farm animals. And we have, yeah, the old horse, the dictator of the country who's been sitting for 40 years or longer. Mm -hmm. And the military forces are dogs. The first lady is a donkey. And there's the goat, Destiny, and her mother, Simiso, who we'll talk about a bit later. And the U.S. president is, if I remember correctly, described as a twittering baboon. <laughs> mm. And just so, for those of you who haven't read the novel, uh, we follow Jadada uh, as its dictator is overthrown uh, because the country is subject to a coup. And rather quickly, the dictator is replaced by another horse, the vice president. And we follow the emotional twists and turns within the people of Jadada, mm -hmm. the waves of hope and the waves of disappointment. And the parallels to Zimbabwe and the fall of Mugabe back in 2017 are, are clear, but at the same time, it's a very universal tale as well. And I think I would like to ask you where this story began for you, the writing of this story. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the writing of the story began with the fall of Mugabe um, in November 2017. He was until then the only president I had ever known. And I had actually made peace with the fact that he was probably 
going to die in office. So I knew right away, as most of my countrymen knew wherever they were, that this was a story um, mm. worth, worth telling. I remember that I flew to Zimbabwe a couple of weeks later, um, among other things, to just be on the ground. There was this desire for me to be there, um, to feel what people were feeling, mm. because this drama was happening and I was watching it from outside. And the creative in me, the artist in me, who needed uh, to close that distance, um, needed, the, uh, needed my, my presence there. So I went, um, started taking notes, observing. But very quickly, I realized that um, I had gone there looking for the wrong story, that the story was not necessarily about um, the big men who naturally take center stage in politics, mm. but the people who were going through their own emotions. There were people who obviously had tried um, over a long period of time the best, the only available option they could to actually choose a, bit, a different destiny through the electoral process. Mm. Um, but it simply didn't work under Mugabe Zimbabwe. Those people uh, felt like, okay, um, there is literally no other way, you know, Mugabe mm. could go. We will hope on this work on. There were people who were uh, skeptical, who understood that nothing was changing. There were people like Destin and her mother who were so grieved by the mm. fact that Mugabe was getting out and he was not going to, there was not going to be any accountability. Mm. And the more time I, I, I spent, I became interested in these voices that were not in the center, but whose stories were, were relevant. So I started to transition from the political nonfiction project to a fictitious work that was broad enough to actually give space, give room to, to these voices. Mm. Hence, uh, glory in the, in the shape that it is. Yeah. yeah, and with the switch from, from non-fiction to fiction also came the fact that the characters are all animals, which Absolutely. I guess you couldn't have done any non-fiction yes. without yeah. <laughs> getting yeah. some comments <laughs> on that. Mm -hmm. There are many things that I want to follow up on. Um, but first off, maybe that the moment when you realized, or maybe it wasn't a moment, but mm -hmm. whenever you did realize that this was not going to be a non-fiction, mm -hmm. but a fiction. Like, as a writer, how did you experience that shift in your writing? Um, I think this was after, after the, 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 the first post-Mukabe election, um, during a period where the, the hope, the optimism had very quickly turned into the opposite, because it was sinking in that, uh, you know, as one of Zimbabwe's most uh, famous lawyers has quoted, that we had removed a tyrant, but not tyranny, mm. you yeah. know. Um, and it was during a wave of, of violence um, that was just so heartbreaking to me um, that the, 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 the project became... You know, it became personal. I was, I was angry. Um, I, I like to say that Glory is my most angry book. I've only written two books. I guess I haven't <laughs> had the chance to be angry. But I had this anger that, that, that fueled uh, Glory, and mm -hmm. it, it, it felt like, um, you know, the, the injustice that had happened, that was happening, was a declaration of, of, of war, mm. you know. And, and for me, that shift... Um, became became inevitable. Mm. Yeah? yeah, yeah. And this anger that you speak of, I um, when reading, I think what I you you can tell that there is anger in the book, but mm -hmm. it's in the the form of humor. I would say mm -hmm. somehow it's as if it's shape shifted, because mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. very much a political satire. Absolutely. And even even though. The characters are, or let me rephrase, mm -hmm. the aspect of humor mm -hmm. in such a 
political landscape, what effect do you think that has? For me, like, I could see the anger through it, but mm -hmm, at the same mm -hmm. time, it also made the book very enjoyable. Um, I don't know about enjoyable, <laughs> but I'm glad if you did. Um, for me, humor is the, is, is, is the medium of seduction hmm. because I am very much aware that I tend to write dark, heavy stuff. That's quite frankly depressing. I mean, there are sections, we're talking about a section I couldn't read because it's such, uh, it's, it's steeped in such trauma mm -hmm. um, that is almost unbearable. For, so for me, humor is what makes the unbearable bearable. It's how I open the door to the reader to say, come on, uh, come in. It's, it's going to be heavy, but you can go through this. Mm. At the same time, I think of humor as resistance, especially in a space where you don't have the liberty to, to make fun of the power, mm. of the seat of power. Um, it is very important for me as an artist to produce the kind of work that reduces violent power to laughable matter. Mm. Yeah, and my challenge to upcoming artists is to actually carry that, to carry that torch, mm. you know, because if we learn to laugh at the absurdity of, of the power, I think that's an important first step in helping us get to where we need to get when it comes to engaging with it. Because we put, uh, we place some of these people on such uh, pedestals that they don't necessarily deserve because mm. of who they are. But what happens if you take them off through, through humor mm. and you see them for what they are? Yeah, and there's this great section where the vice president, who becomes the, the president after a while, uh, he, he's talking to Siri on the iPhone. Yes, and he yes. has this sort of like erotic relationship yes, to Siri, yes, yes, which yeah. is what I meant by <laughs> enjoyable. <laughs> and there's mm. one more thing I have to mention, which is, um, there's this list of ministers in Jadada, yes. which is also, and I have it here, mm -hmm. just so you guys also can enjoy it. The minister of the revolution, the minister of corruption, the minister of order, the minister of things, the minister of nothing, the minister of propaganda, the minister of, of homophobic affairs, the minister of disinformation, and the minister of looting. Mm -hmm. I think those should be official ministries, by the way, because... I yeah, don't see why not. Not just in Jidata. I think people in, are doing this kind of work all over the exactly, place. Exactly, exactly. So I don't yeah, think there's anything yeah. wrong with that. Mm. <laughs> and this aspect of, of humor, it also comes through in the fact that the characters are animals. But yes. at the same time, I feel like when I was reading, I could go very long stretches without, mm -hmm. like... I don't know, really picturing them as animals because mm -hmm. they're, they also have such great um, humanity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're so vulnerable and they're so horrendous, mm -hmm. just as people can be. But I think I, um, that also m makes me want to ask you, where did the idea of making them animals come from? Okay. Um, so I was fortunate to, to, to have a grandmother who was an amazing storyteller. Um, we didn't have a TV growing up. I think I'm grateful now. I was unhappy with, mm. when, as a child. Um, but my grandmother was the entertainment, and she did that mostly through stories in which animals were characters. So I grew up understanding that uh, you know, folklore was a technology that um, told us about who we are mm. as humans. It was really never about the animal kingdom, but our humanity, who we are, who we were, who we could be, our loves, our hates, our disappointments. Um, and as somebody who was grappling with the best possible medium to carry, to, 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 to produce um, a form with the weight, with the necessary, that could carry the weight of glory, it, it became um, 
fitting mm. to kind of look back to, to these old woman's stories and imagine them in 2018 and also thinking about how they'd be read in future. Mm. Um, there was also the obvious comparison, Animal Farm, which for a while was a staple uh, in our high school syllabus. Mm. And uh, it's, it's a book that would pop up occasionally on social media. Um, Zimbabweans who studied it would casually refer to it uh, to talk about our predicament. Mm. So it was a combination of these two mediums coming together mm. and feeling right at, at the moment. Mm. Yeah. Talking about, but um, you you you, missed, you made an important point. I think that sometimes you forget you are dealing with animals, mm. and I think that's that's the point uh, because they are, you know, I, I think of them as living beings like us. Mm. You know, there is no hierarchy, at least in my imagination. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no reason why I cannot follow and believe a story about a horse or a baboon. Mm. You know. Uh, because at the core of it, as I said, it's, it's a story about, about about us, about our world. Yeah, yeah. No, so. definitely. Mm -hmm. But it, it's not to say that it doesn't matter that they're animals, because mm -hmm. I think the fact that Destiny is a goat, Yes. for me, a goat is very different from a horse. Now I'm saying very Ab simple stuff on stage here, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does give them character. Uh -huh. But there is something with how you slide away into the human mind anyway, mm -hmm. which is very fitting. But you mentioned now social media. Mm -hmm. um, and throughout this novel, you also make use of the language from social media. There are whole chapters that are just like a Twitter, now X feed. Oh, now it's X, yeah. It's called X now, yeah, and yeah. I think it's you have to pay for it and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I was never on Twitter actually, so I had to. It's no? a form that I no, I was never on Twitter. I'm not a technology, uh, social media person at all. But when it came to researching for glory, I you know I realized that to connect with 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 my people, mm -hmm. I needed to go, you know, where they were. So I read uh, Twitter uh, threads. I was on social. I mean, I was on Facebook. Mm. Um, was? Yeah, I still am, not mm. as much as I, I, sh I should be. Um, but it became, I mean, for one, we, many of us, I don't know how many Zimbabweans outside of the country, many of us witnessed this story on gadgets, whether on WhatsApps or on our phones, uh, on our computers. Mm. And... I could not imagine writing the book outside of that uh, mm. influence. You know, that's where the interesting conversations were happening. Um, that's where I was following the news. That's where I was following what people were thinking. Mm. So it, it, it really became necessary to, to, to bring that form, the platforms to glory. And I think beyond the Twitter uh, threads and the language, you'll notice that the, 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 the chapters, instead of the traditional chapters, they are divided into vignettes as well. Mm. And I was thinking of the storytelling in these platforms that comes in little doses, you know, mm. and trying to bend the novel to kind of um, meet that, those forms halfway. Mm. Yeah. Makes sense. And also, the internet has affected the form here, but there's also a lot of talk about internet, like, mm -hmm. thematically in the book. For example, there's this one scene where the, the Jadons, I think it's during the re-election or the election after the fall of the dictator. Mm -hmm. They're standing, I think, in line for something, and then they're all watching, like, a video, a terrible video mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. a phone, which is then the killing of George Floyd. Yes. And I think that there is... And then what happens in the novel is, is um, just brilliant, is that it just shifts and it goes on for like a full page with I can't breathe. And it's as mm -hmm. if the, the novel sort of becomes the screen or there's, some, mm -hmm. there's like mm -hmm. a collapse there. Mm -hmm. And I think what I want to ask you is, is there, 
in that scene, for me, what happens is that there's a connection of the struggles. They're standing in line for mm -hmm. the election. Yes, yes. And at the same time, this killing is happening across the sea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you see any... I'm trying not to ask, do you think social media is good or bad? But like, <laughs> do you think that there is a liberating power... No, ab absolutely, in especially that. in moments like those. I mean, the, the killing of uh, Brother George Floyd happened when I was in Johannesburg. Um, and I don't remember which part of the pandemic. It was the, the early part. I think the early but part. But people took to the streets and protested, and that was happening really all over the world. Mm. Um, so it was this global solidarity um, not for the obvious fact of injustice, but there was also a recognition that uh, people, especially people of color, were not breathing everywhere, mm. really. So it was that moment that kind of um, brought home the fact that these struggles were, were interconnected. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It is very powerful. And also in that scene in your book, because the U.S. is sort of the exile country as well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's like that you're never, you're never free. Absolutely, it's also like it's a very doomsday-like thought. But it mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm. when it said, "I can't breathe," like all across the page, it was very, mm -hmm. it's very powerful. And there's also this mm, division in in the book of Jadada into like two countries sort of after the dictator falls. There's the country mm -hmm. country and then there's the other country. That's mm -hmm. how it's described. Mm -hmm. uh, and it says the country country that was the real physical space in which Jadadans walked and lived and cued and suffered and got pained. And then there was the other country where Jadadans Jadadan lo logged on and roared and raged and vented. So also in like the separation between mm -hmm. the real wor world and the virtual world, there, it makes possible a different kind of sentiment. Absolutely. It seems like. Yeah. Could you yeah. say something about this separation? Um, yeah, I was thinking of the virtual space as a space that exists outside of the reach of the power hmm. with this violence. Obviously... Um, you cannot take the resistance that happens online to the streets that is in a repressive state like um, like Jidada, because you are going to be um, in danger. Um, but online, for me, the fascination was that people actually address the power in ways that I don't see happening. I just came from home. I went there for the elections and stayed until um, a couple of days ago. The conversations that are happening online are definitely not happening on the ground. Mm. But of course, I am interested in how we move that resistance to the ground. Mm. You know, um, Online, there is obviously the... We, people are protected by the fact that you're out of reach. You can be anonymous. Um, you can say anything. You are part of a collective, mm. but that does not always uh, happen on the ground. Mm. I, I think part of how we get free, and that's, that's what I was going for with the end of the novel, is to, to find a way to, to, bridge, to bridge that gap. Mm. And I think the day that we are able to do that is really going to, 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 to change our predicament, mm. at least for places like Jitaja. It's almost like the virtual is a space for imagination. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, this is not to discount it. It's, it's, it's still important to, to, to gather in this self-space, have these conversations, vent, exchange ideas. Mm. But as long as we know that we have to bring that at home, Mm. where the power actually knows that, well, these people are doing whatever they're doing, but that's not, you know, I, I think one of the generals actually says, why are you worried about what's happening online? Mm. You know, have you seen anybody who's making noise online make noise on the ground, mm. you know? But of course, in the end of the novel, people do make noise on the ground because they've figured out the formula. Yeah, so, they, yeah. Uh, there's a recipe in this book. So <laughs> <laughs>
Um, I also would like to talk about one of the main characters. We've mentioned her, the goat, Destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and her narrative in, in this novel is for me sort of an extension of, of your debut novel, mm-hmm. We Need mm-hmm. New Names, which I also very highly recommend. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Maybe you want to read for us here from okay. from when Destiny arrives. Yes, yes. After Do you have the page number, by any chance? I have 139. 139. Yeah. Okay. Just the first section? Yeah, I think that's good. Richard lone goat lugging a pebble hard shell suitcase. This is actually my aunt's suitcase. And... <laughs> It's a, it's a long story, but she was just asking me about it. Okay. Um, she wanted it back. She wants it back. She's in, she's in Michigan. The suitcase is in Texas. But she thinks it's in, it's in Zimbabwe because she left it in Zimbabwe. <laughs> uh, she doesn't understand why it's in, it's, it's in... I mean, if I brought it to the U.S., why I didn't bring it to Michigan? So okay. It's, yeah, so you it's haven't a told. Bit of, yeah, it's a bit of drama, but <laughs> <laughs> long got lagging a purple hard shell suitcase. Those who see the slim goat in the long white tunic dress, a black satchel on her, Tolwuti dragging an oversized purple hard shell suitcase along the longest road without a name. Stop what they were doing and keenly watch as if they've known all along she was coming and so have been waiting for days. They've already recognized, because they've become experts at it, that distinctive gait of a newly returned exile, as if she's reminding the earth she's walked it before. Yes, Toluguti, that she's very much a child of the soil and not a stranger. They recognize, too, from the gate, from the gate, from her posture, that whatever this returnee's specific reasons for crossing whatever borders she did, they were painful, heavier still than all of her luggage. But while they've become experts on returnees, the residents of Lozikei still can't know everything there is to know. They have no idea, for instance, as they carefully follow the goat's measured progress that when she landed at the Jidada Regional Airport just a couple of hours ago, she hadn't at first known how to move on the very land she'd once sworn to never set hoof on, how to breathe the air she'd once denounced, because returning is one thing and arriving is quite another. That once outside the airport, she stood under the shade of a syringa tree near that spot where the statue of the old horse had been and wept. They have no idea that she stayed until the airport emptied and it seemed she was the only one left like some last lone survivor of an apocalypse. Yes, Tolugut is standing there under the syringa tree that she hadn't seen in years because it didn't grow in that foreign soil where she'd sought refuge. That tree with its yellow marble-sized inedible fruit that rigged in the stunning sun the tree with those prowling branches writhing with whole territories of ants and reaching for the face of God. Yes, Tolukuti, she'd remained there, standing with her luggage and weeping, until at last a service worker, recognized in the God's tragic posture, in the sound of her harrowing weeping, the specific lament of a returnee, broken in specific ways by her country of broken things, went to her and gently, gently, Toluguti so, so gently she could have been disarming a bomb, took the handle of her suitcase and set the piece on that red earth there, and then next took the backpack and set it down too. And then gently, again gently, so gently the god almost didn't feel it, took her in her arms and held her until she finished emptying the torrent of return. And now, a couple or so hours later, the returnee negotiates the portaled road without a name and feels the appraising eyes of animals watching her from the streets, from their yards, from behind curtains, from idling cars, 
from under umbrellas, from behind corners. She wonders if she should have just used a private taxi, an idea she dismissed because she wanted to take her time getting to the township of Lozikei, where she grew up, where her mother still lives, and which also happens to be her namesake, for Lozikei is in fact the God's middle name, Tolukuti both God and township, named for the Ndebele Queen of the Southwestern Jidata of the pre-colonial days. And you did good too, long lost daughter of Simiso Kumalo, for taking public transport has indeed allowed you the extra time you needed to prepare, to brace yourself, because even as you have had weeks, even as you had the long journey, it still wasn't enough for you to figure out how to begin to show your face to a mother you haven't seen, let alone spoken to, in a whole entire decade. Thank you. The, the story of, of destiny and Simiso is maybe what happens sort of in the foreground, if that's mm -hmm. at least how, when I was reading the story, you have the fall of the dictator, you have the political upheaval, you have the re-election, you have the mm -hmm. corruption, all of this is happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then comes destiny with her suitcase. Could you maybe tell a little bit about the story about destiny and her, well, destiny? Yeah, so Destiny, is. Uh, this is the first time we're seeing her. Uh, she's returning from exile. She left Jidada about 10 years before um, during a wave of violence in which um, she typically, I mean, she, in which she actually broke up, decided to be done with her country. But as most... Uh, migrants will, will tell you, migrants who are seeking shelter for all kinds of reasons will tell you that the world has become um, inhabitable of, of late. So she's part of that wave of migrants who lives in search of better, um, but has, is forced to make the journey back mm. because she's, a, she's unable to find uh, refuge. So it is not a voluntary return. Um, I was interested in the stories that get lost when we talk about places like Jidada, mm -hmm. where the focus is on the political actors, but not what people have gone through mm -hmm. in their individual capacities. Destiny is, is a victim of political violence. She's assaulted. Um, but that becomes her silent song that nobody knows, and it's the song that she's carrying when she comes back. Um, unfortunately for her, she comes back to discover that her mother has her own silent song as well. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a story of homecoming, of confronting history, um, untold stories, but also it's a story of, of unsilencing, of empowerment, mm. because through the mother and daughter sort of connecting through their untold trauma and giving voice to what they have both carried silently um, for years and years, and in the case of Simiso for, for decades, there becomes uh, born sort of a a power, a movement that transcends both mother and daughter to actually start to affect the, the whole nation. Mm. And the seed that actually changes the story of Jidata is born through the mother and daughter actually grappling with their, with their past. Absolutely. And, and this part where uh, there's a whole chapter where Samiso tells their family story to Destiny and she's not heard this before and, mm -hmm. and I will not repeat it here because I don't want to, to spoil it, but um, the things that are told of are, are terrible to say, to say the least. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and afterwards, Destiny, I think I'm just going to quote this because uh, she's been told this, this gruesome story and um, afterwards she, she thinks this. 
In the middle of all that pain and grief and confusion, there were the complicated feelings towards Miso. Yes, her mother's own pain and loss and grief were beyond immeasurable, and Destiny knew she'd never truly fathom what Samiso had lived through and carried and endured, what she still had to live through, because who really could ever triumph over that kind of past? And yes, hearing about April 18, 1983, made Destiny understand in fullness and for the first time who Samiso really was, made her appreciate the parts of her mother she'd never until then quite understood. And it, it goes on. Mm. And I think what really, um, really, I don't know what word to, to use, like really um, immersed me was this, I kind of had this epiphany of how the, the fact that Samiso hasn't told this story, it's true mm -hmm. what Destiny's thinking. Destiny doesn't know mm -hmm. her mom mm -hmm. until that story is, is told. Absolutely, yeah. And I think my question to you is, what do you think that this, the lack of storytelling or the, the telling of trauma mm -hmm. does to, to the relationships? Um, I think it allows people to see each other because as, as Destiny says, she's not able, um, as long as she doesn't know Simiso's story, she can't see her for who she is. Mm. Um, And it's only that it's only when that story is told that she's able to to do so, and by extension, um, the mother is also able to see her her daughter that way, and because of this this gift, destiny is actually able to translate it. She she puts that story down, mm. and you remember that she shares it in this rally that is in contrast to the rally at the opening of the, of the, of the, of the novel in the sense that people are, the moment that they hear the year 1983, because it's such a recognizable year for people who have gone through this wave of violence. Um, see, I'm saying people instead of animals in, the, in glory, <laughs> that confusion. Uh, in the audience, animals are like, we also need to get ready to go up there and tell our story, mm. you know. So it becomes this cathartic moment, but also this moment of empowerment. I, I think there's nothing as powerful as reckoning with and giving voice and language with what has happened, what has been done to mm. you, and sharing that in a communal uh, setting. You remember that shortly after... Um, people actually gather in this township and there's that night of storytelling mm -hmm. where they are now talking about how they have been participants in their own oppression by supporting the regime, by standing aside and watching all kinds of violences being uh, perpetrated on their fellow Jidadians. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, again, it's that storytelling, that sharing, just that, mm -hmm. that... Um, brings a new day the next morning because after that night something clicks in in the imaginations and hearts of the Jitadans and they are able to to change the course of their lives after that yeah it's like mm. it's like a beautiful church but without you know yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> yeah it really is a sort of a turning point absolutely um, yeah and yeah. it does really, as you just said, turn into a more hopeful kind of story mm -hmm, to towards mm -hmm. the end. Um, a lot of things happen to Destiny and to the old horse, and I will not spoil those things. Um, but I do want to ask you, was it important to you to write a hopeful ending? Um, for me, that, that was the point. I was sharing earlier uh, that... Uh, this, this Toni Morrison quote, she was, you know, talking about writing during tumultuous times. And mm. uh, she said something like, this is, you know, there's no time for self-pity. This is the time when artists have to go to work. Mm. Um, you know, we, we do language. That is how civilizations heal. So I was interested in contributing to that conversation of, of healing. Mm. And I remember it was during that time when I, um, I live in Bulawayo, when I'm in Bulawayo. 
and when I'm in Zimbabwe. And uh, during that time, it was cheaper for those of us who were who close to the border, to the Botswana border, to cross and shop for groceries there. Mm. And I met a sister who's a reader, and she said, can you please write something in which we can see ourselves out of this predicament? And to hear somebody have such faith mm. in the power of storytelling, in the power of literature, um, was so, it, it really did something. It, it, was a, it became both a challenge and a prayer for mm. me um, that it became impossible not to end glory on such a hopeful knot. Mm. You know, the, the book is dedicated to all Jitadas everywhere because I'm, I'm aware that tyranny is not a Zimbabwean predicament. There are so many countries all over the world. It's like it's a trend. Mm. Um, and that, that ending is for, is for them too. Mm. What authors have been, been this for you, have written these stories? Um, you mentioned Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison, yes, at, at home, because it, be, it always begins at home for me. Um, Tsitsi Dangaremga, for mm. instance, uh, Yvonne Vera. Mm. Uh, outside, uh, Nguki Wathiongo's work has been important. Uh, James Baldwin has been important, uh, Edwish Dantika, Mario Vargas Llosa. Mm. It's, it's a whole boatload. Yeah. But the reality is that, I mean, the, the thing is that it's, it's, it's stories and storytelling mm. um, that have shown me the power. And I think I, I write because of, of, of the possibilities that I, I, I saw in these in this writers and their, and their works. Mm. Yeah, possibilities of a better world, yeah. Yeah, and towards the, the end of, of Glory, there is this line. No, since her visit to Bulawayo, since she sat down to write, she had chosen not to be afraid. This is her way of rising above the past, of putting together that which was broken. This is her way of dreaming the future. And I think, in extension of what we're talking about, do you... Do you consider your your artistic work to be a sort of um, to have political agency in the sense of I don't know material change or you know it's it's impossible for me not to write without that drive. Mm. Um, I mean, glory came because the times demanded of me to produce a work with political agency. But that said, I'm, I'm aware that I'm only part of the conversation. Uh, the other part of the conversation comes from a reader actually picking the book mm. and reading it and speaking back, however way uh, that, that happens. Mm. So it's, it's, it's really a two-way street, and I feel like I'm, I'm doing my part, I've done my part, and it is my hope that um, glory gets in the hands of, of people who need to read it. Mm. Yeah. I think there are a lot of people here who will read it at least. Mm. Mm, we were talking earlier before we went on straight stage that you're heading back to the U.S. after not having been there for some years, mm -hmm. and you're gonna pick up teaching again. Mm -hmm. And I'm always like interested when I meet uh, an author who's also a teacher how their mm. teaching practice mm -hmm. works with their with their writing, because mm. I, I don't know, I have this vision of teaching being a, such a, a hopeful profession, somehow, <laughs> delivering it. But I have never taught anything, as you can hear. <laughs> uh, But how does those two correlate? No, it's, it's hopeful. I mean, I'm thinking of the fact that part of, we're in trouble, um, not because the world is being run by uneducated people. They were in different, you know, they've been to school, so... I'm hopeful, but I'm also cautiously hopeful. Mm. For me, it's, it's really um, personal. It's about giving back, mm. remembering that once upon a time I was a student uh, taking my first creative writing class, and that began what for me turned into a career. You know, I, I, I doubt I would have written without sitting in that class and meeting those teachers who actually told me how to face the page every day and how to read. So mm. it's about uh, sharing that love of literature, reading with my students, 
um, sharing and discussing stories stories that that matter. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a small uh, it's a small hope, but I, I always leave it in the hands of the students. So yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And. We Need New Names came out about 10 years ago, is that correct? It doesn't feel like. No. <laughs> I have a sister, I, I don't even think that woman read We Need New Names, but for the past 10 years she's been like, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> other, people, other people have written three, four books and you're still... <laughs> I was not about to book so... shame you, that was not where I was headed. I was going to say that. No, I, I know. <laughs> It's been mm-hmm. about 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. This came out not too long ago, Glory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are you headed next? To, to teach. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I have no idea. I, li- I like for my stories to, to find me, mm. to, to, to come to me. Um, that way I feel like I'm, I'm producing work that I'm supposed to, to mm. produce. What does that mean, that it comes to you? Uh, well, I mean, I, I talked about the origin of glory, mm. uh, that it just, this event happened and it, 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 I found myself having to respond somehow and I responded through glory. Mm. So I'm, I, I think and I hope that whatever I do comes to me that way instead mm. of me sitting down and saying, okay, what do I need to write next? Mm. Yeah. Is yeah. that a political necessity, a spiritual necessity? Uh, spiritual, yeah. really, more than anything. Yeah. For me, the work is, is, is spiritual. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we'll leave it at that because we don't have much more time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so Thank very you. much. Everybody Thank read you. her book. You've been listening to a podcast from the House of Literature in Oslo, presenting adapted versions of lectures and conversations featuring international writers and thinkers. You can find more episodes and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud and our website. The music is by Apotek. <laughs>